Welcome to the Human Conversation Podcast with Jules White, the real dragon slayer, author and entrepreneur sales coach. Tune in weekly for human conversation about business and sales. Enjoy business expert interviews, educational episodes and virtual cuppers with entrepreneur business owners. So grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy. Here is your host, Jules White. So welcome everybody to The Human Conversation and I have a wonderful guest this week who is somebody I used to work with. Now this is probably a first that I've got someone on that I used to work with and so it's quite exciting. We have uh, a little bit of history in terms of the fact that he's seen me in the employed status of Jules White as opposed to the the Jules who runs businesses but let me introduce you to a fabulous guy called Loz Jones. Loz is the founder of Creative Sound and Vision. Loz welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much it's a pleasure I'm enjoying this already we haven't even started yet. We haven't even started and it's so lovely because I think we said we met for a coffee literally a few weeks back when we were allowed to because um, anyone who's listening to this who might be listening in a couple of years time Loz who knows we're in the middle of the coronavirus um, pandemic so we're all kind of housebound and isolated. So what better thing to do than do a podcast? But Loz and I met, we had a coffee. We said we probably hadn't seen each other for three years, I think, Loz. It's about three years, yeah. Let me just tell you about, um, we used to work together in a digital marketing uh, agency. So I was obviously in the sales role there, but Loz was actually the most wonderful video producer. Um, and he's laughing now. And I know you oh, get you, on. <laughs> if you're watching the video, you can see him laughing and being all shy. <laughs> but he is really, really talented when it comes to video. So your business, Loz, that you literally have just started to build now. Yeah, um, good timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> have no fear. Have no fear. Just have to be patient, that's all. So, uh, Do you know what? I actually think that's a good thing to be anyway in all yeah. So creative sound and vision. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing. Um, well, the idea is um, to provide a whole gamut of uh, production systems, situations that um, clients can look to us to whether they want to produce a video from scratch or whether they want us to um, just provide the camera work or whether they just want us to provide, they've, they've already shot their video and they want us to provide um, the animation side. On top of that, um, as you know, I write music as well. So um, the idea is to be able to produce bespoke music either for, for the video um, within which time I'll also be producing my own pieces that people could listen to a library of sort of uh, royalty free music that they can use. I still do brand design and, um, and also looking ahead towards perhaps sort of like a creative consultation situation because I've worked in so many um, video teams, creative teams. And sometimes the working practices there are not quite as streamlined as they should be. Mm. So there's maybe a way of looking at helping people set up uh, a team for the first time. If they haven't thought about, maybe we could bring 
um, a video team in-house rather than employing freelancers all the time. Perhaps I can go in there and consult with those people, find out the best ways to do this and also set them up with the right equipment. So much money gets wasted. Um, every, every sort of creative department I've ever worked in, there's a cupboard somewhere and it's just full of gear that they've never used because, oh, we bought this thinking this was what we needed. And then we employed the people to use it and they went, what's this junk? Don't need that, you know. Yeah, sometimes it's about the order that you do things as well, isn't it, Lord? Yeah, exactly, mean? yeah. Some people think they might need a massive studio when all they really need is a few cameras and a, and a small setup. I mean, like I said, look how easy things are these days to do this yeah. kind of stuff, you know. It, it's, it's incredible because I often get asked, I mean, I've made now, this is our 51st episode of wow. my podcast, okay? It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I find it very exciting that I've done that many. And when they ask me, they say, oh, you know, how do you, how do, you do it though? It must be really complicated. And I say, Zoom, uh, Apple earphones, iMovie, um and uh soundcloud yeah <laughs> and, it, and it's kind of like and they, and they sort of look what you do it yourself yeah i do it all myself um and yes of course it takes me a bit of time to do it but it's the whole point laws is yeah you don't have to spend a fortune on these things you know you really really don't no i mean the world has completely changed um you go on youtube and people are blogging regularly just using their phone yeah. And vlogging, sorry, um, and using their phone. In fact, to a certain degree, what charms people to these things more often is the less polished thing. If the more polished it looks sometimes, people go, oh, I don't trust them. Yeah. <laughs> they've, got, they've got all the gear. I don't like them, you know. <laughs> so there is a bit of that to it as well. And, you know, when you're discussing, the most important thing is the conversation. So everything else is by the by, isn't it, really? Yeah, so. just, just like this, the human conversation. Yeah. But it is interesting what you say about when it's so polished and it's so perfect, how we get a little bit uh, wary of it, you know. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? Because I think today now, um, the fact that we are so online, even more so now with this virus, because that's the only way we can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but now we're in this kind of online space. I think we've just realised that we can actually be quite authentic. Um, oh, and guess what? I quite like authentic people, you know. Yeah. I quite see, like seeing someone in a field with their wellies on walking their dogs, giving me some great business information. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. But then I think there's also this place for your kind of lovely creative type video. So I don't mean the one where you've got, you know, the huge backdrop, the cameras, the light. It's, it's not about that. I think it's about sometimes how you put something together. So, uh, for instance, I did um, a video uh, a few months back that was a, a speaker show reel. All right. You know, this yep. is the sort of stuff you need to get that quite right. Um, and I couldn't do that on my own. I mean, I could have a good go. But you'd yeah. know that I'd done it on my own. But that's when I think guys like you come into play where you really make it very uh, seamless and, and really funky, you know? Succinct, I think, Succinct. is the big thing, is, yeah. is the big one. I mean, again, video these days when people want to, I mean, let's call it advertising for want of a better term because if it's a show reel, whatever it is, you're showing off your product. Yeah. If you, 
if you're not showing people something quickly enough these days, they will turn off. Um, I find that quite sad in some ways. As a as a creative and an artist, I like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. I like I like a good long intro. You know, I'm a Led Zeppelin fan. You know, <laughs> uh, and if you you can't possibly not like long intros if you're into Pink Floyd or something either. So, but anyway, I digress. The um, you've got to give people what they need to hear and quickly. Now, if in some cases you if you wrote an article or you did a, a poster or an advert, an advert like that as the old still format, you can only use a few words. Yeah. Um, and if you do a long article or a blog or something like that, it's a lot to read and people don't have the time. And the beauty of a video is you can pretty much fit in a blog's worth of text being voiceovered over the top of the key information which you then put up in that space of time mm. so you you know it's you know you can fit in so much more in a minute and get so much more across in that space of time so no no polished videos are not dead i'm not trying to do <laughs> myself out of any business oh, no, no. But, but but i think polished in the right way as well laws because you know the bit for me is absolutely i want it polished you know in certain yeah. circumstances but then I also want people to recognize it's Jules White. And I think yes. that's where you're clever in that you'll keep that personal brand in it. So it feels like it's the right voice. Um, that doesn't have to go just because you make it succinct. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's just that. I mean, again, you know, like you said, so you're showing your speaker's showreel. Yeah. So it's that sort of several speaker situations that you've done and you're cutting them. Yeah. Into. Yeah. And, and the, the key, uh, apparently... Uh, is that it's probably around three minutes long because that's just about the right time, not just for perhaps an event manager to, to pick up whether they want you, but also agents don't have time to watch long videos or even a full talk. The trick is to do a quick intro of some real sort of buzzwords and, or, or key um, statements that you make and chop that up really early on with maybe some nice background music to start with. And then re-go through all that again with the longer versions so that, you know, more in context then. Yeah. But that way, people can instantly tell straight away from the first 10 seconds, oh, yeah, I want to watch more, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like getting them to stay, isn't it, as you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. watch the rest. Um, and it's like, you, actually, that happens in written format too you yeah. know when you get something like an e-flyer e you know or email marketing uh, if it's really clever you can keep somebody to actually read the whole of that email yeah yeah well be really really smart i think hasn't absolutely it? yeah i mean i i'm not i'm not a writer in that sense of yeah. writing um long scripts and things like that yeah i'm a great writer when it comes to lyrics or poems and things like that i don't want to you know brag but <laughs> yeah but i am <laughs> I'm, I'm not bad i'm not bad considering i failed english so you know <laughs> you're very good now hold these thoughts listeners because i'm going to pull all these things together because this is how clever i am with my podcasting so uh you've just mentioned obviously to us about lyrics um you did mention very early on about music what a beautiful in for us to talk about music laws which is one of your absolute passions and mine so there's let's, another connection for us. let's steady on here because i might <laughs> bore you for the next two hours so let's you know let's be careful here <laughs> right well we haven't got two hours just no. put your, put your... <laughs> <laughs> 
Just tell me to shut up. When <laughs> no, Where do you I, want me to start? Um, <laughs> well, look, um, I want you to um, tell us a little bit about um, the musical side of Laws because we talked about, obviously, the, the new business. Fantastic. Very exciting. I will put links in at the bottom of this. So Excellent. Thank you very much. You. Um, but I want to also, um, I don't know, connect the music into that because this is still that lovely creativity that, that I think has a, a perfect partnership with what you do. So tell us about um, tell us about when you were young, when music started for you. Where did it start, Loz? Probably as young as five or six years old. Now, that comes from um, growing up in a family. I grew up in a family of creatives. My mum and dad were both creative. They met at art college, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and they're both artists, painters. Um, my dad did sculpture for years, but he ended up as a, um, a technical illustrator for various um, engineering companies and things like that. But um, they both have a massive love of music. They're more sort of traditional classic stuff. My dad has such a bank of recordings that I might inherit one day. I don't know, but um, he, he, has, he has tons of vinyl, all this great classic vinyl. So when I was young, anyway, I, um, I was taken to ballets, opera, um, uh, the proms every year. Um, my parents weren't wealthy. They, you know, um, they were, you know, proper working class, but they just loved what they loved. And instead of sort of going, right, we're going out, get the babysitter in, they'd take this five-year-old kid the cheap, in the cheap seats at the Albert Hall, you know, and we'd be sat there and my jaw just drops from the first time I heard like a full orchestra playing. It's... Mm. And if you've never been to see something like that live, go. <laughs> yeah, go see it because it's phenomenal. Um, it's and you don't understand the volume from a TV or anything. It is loud. Yeah. You know, people bang on about rock bands and DJs and all that stuff. They've got a big PA system. These guys can do it with acoustically. They uh, can. Isn't it? And, and also, obviously, Los, the Royal Albert Hall is, is probably one of the most wonderful places you can go and do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they used to take me and my sister. My sister's eight, sister's eight years older than me. So I watched her go through school, become a painter, go into being an artist. Right. Then she went into digital art for a while, and now she's a painter again. Um, so it's all around. There's nothing I can do to avoid it. Now, my sister was eight years old or so. When she was 16, I was eight years old. So she was into... Duran Duran, Adam and the Ants, all of that kind of stuff in the middle of the 80s. Yeah. And so as much as I loved listening to all the stuff that my dad liked, I was also stealing her records, putting them on, and we'd both sit there on a, you know, on a, on a Sunday listening to the chart show or whatever, it, you know, uh, you know and, and, ta and taping the best ones. Yeah, yeah. And so... You know, and, and I got this sort of at an earlier age. I was sort of listening to getting into this whole teenage pop thing at the age of eight years old. And, and so by the time I hit 16, I think my musical um, experiences <laughs> was pretty large for someone at 16. You know, by that time, I was getting into Bob Dylan and 
I was I was already exploring the past, not just what was happening in front of me. And and so I I sort of discovered a whole new world of stuff, and I just couldn't get enough. I wanted to do music at school, but I didn't have the um, the grades. Yeah. Um, and uh, funnily enough, they, they do you know they do these mock exams before you take your GCSEs. Yeah. Um, I'm the only person ever at the school I was in, or at the time anyway, that got 100% in the music exam. Wow. Yet when I said I wanted to take it at GCSE level, they told me I couldn't because I didn't yeah. have enough grades in enough instruments. Oh, crazy, crazy system. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, so I was, you know, I, I didn't like that. It made me, it really annoyed me. But at the time I was going, I was destined to be um, a footballer, an athlete, a hockey player. It didn't bother me. Sport was my thing. I was going through the same process as my sister, art, design. Uh, then I went and did uh, my foundation course at 18, which is where I met my wife. Um, <laughs> so these things follow on. And then we, while we were at college, we met other like-minded people. And, you know, you get together. Oh, should we form a band? <laughs> yeah, that would be hilarious. Let's do that, you know. And um, between college and some old school mates and pulling a few people together we formed this covers band and that's how it started so and then of course it got in the way very quickly of doing any kind of sport because weekends you know it was almost impossible to get up on a Saturday morning to go and train for hockey after Friday night gigging till yeah. God, whatever time yeah. you know and so bit by bit and then of course there's the obvious things you reach 18, 19 years old and booze and girls yeah. <laughs> are far yeah. more interesting than playing sports. Those two evil things came into yeah. play. And it's, a, and it's amazing holding a guitar, what that does. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And, you and also, I just want to interject because you've mentioned hockey um, and the listeners just need to know that here is another connection <laughs> because I was a hockey player from about the age of 18. I'm, I played at school, but from 18 through to 30, I played club hockey, I played county, and I played national mix. So Loz and I also both were hockey players. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, 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 do you know what? I loved it. And yeah, me too. Um, as a, as a, particularly as a kid, I just I, there was nothing like the spirit within a hockey hockey team. I mean, we all used to compare notes. So you're a failed rugby player, a failed footballer. <laughs> We've all arrived at down this different route, but amazingly, just the spirit within those guys and the way we used to play. And actually, I think there's no sport like it for knackering you out. No, it's like five a side football on a full size pitch. <laughs> it, was you know, a it is non stop tiring stuff. But yeah, we yeah. were fit, Lars. We were fit. Yeah, I, I was once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, once until, until the music took over. Yeah, really. <laughs> but look, I mean, I I could talk to you probably for a whole podcast just about the music, but everything is kind of coming together quite nicely here when you think about it, because obviously you've met your wife. Um, you did music together, didn't you? In, yes. She she, yeah, I talked her into joining the band, which was, uh, that was the first band as well. And pretty much we've been on that journey ever since together. And it's great. I love your relationship. And I know I don't know her very well, but obviously just talking to you, it's just lovely all the things that you say. Um, now, your music has come back in a big wave uh, very recently where you've actually 
uh, sat and written and recorded an album. All right. Yeah. And I know I'm jumping a little bit, That's but all right. it links me back to something else that I wanted to talk about with you, which I think is actually quite important for the audience because we, you know, we, we are really, um, I think we're much more educated now about mental health, which is wonderful. We're happier to talk about it. But I want to talk about uh, your experience within your mental health. And I want to I wanna really, uh, I want you to tell us your story, Loz, just uh, no problem. how you can uh, really. Well, um, it, it ties in really well what you're saying because it's actually something I've had all my life but not really realised it until, I mean, I'm 46 now and I was 43, 43-ish when it started to come to a head and um, I started suffering with really bad depression at about 43 years old. Um, I was in a job and everything was going well. I was totally happy. Um, and I loved the people I was working with. There was nothing, you know, that problematic with the job. Um, and it just started to wind down to the point where I was feeling um, not good enough to do my job. Um, I, I was putting myself under more, more and more pressure as well. Um, and I was just finding it. What, what I was doing was I was slipping into a massive deep depression. There were so many things, so many little catalysts. People would say something off the cuff and I would hold on to it. I'd slipped into a deep depression and it was going to take a lot to get me out of it. And what ended, what ended up, a couple of long story short, is I gave up my job. Um, um, I was given time off. They were brilliant with me and they said I could come back. But as soon as I came back, I, had a, I came back for one day and I got through about half a day's work and I had a panic attack and went mm -hmm. back home. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think about a week later, I then handed in my notice and said, look, I can't do this. Um, it's not fair on anybody. I was under a fair bit of pressure at the time. I mean, I was setting up a team and a, and a thing to do. And it just, you know, I was just not helping anybody by being there. So Plus, can I just say um, at this point, you know, what did you think it was? I at first, I mean, this is the problem. At, at first, I, I put it down to being so I was miss. I was I wasn't enjoying my my job. And therefore, I was thinking I was in the wrong job. I wasn't doing the right things. Um, maybe I just needed a complete change in life. And it wasn't just this job. The job I'd had before had happened, the same thing had happened there. And I was slowly getting dragged down into this feeling of just despair. I'm not, I'm not creating for me. I'm not creating what I want to create. In fact, there were days when I would sit there and not create at all because I just felt completely flat. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was to kick myself out of it, we, me and Lucy sold our house. And we travelled um, around South America and Australia. And we, we did that for about, I think it was seven or eight months. And all of a sudden we came up with great ideas and we were, oh, this is brilliant. And it just, I felt like I was living again. I mean, the weirdest thing is, I think, with any kind of depression, but particularly 
um, bipolar as well, when, when you're on the downside, you, you feel like you're in a bubble or a, or a, or a, like a gloomy fish tank <laughs> and you're looking through the glass at life going on, but you're not in it. You're in your tank. You're, you're not taking part. You're just watching all this stuff go on, but you're not there. And all of a sudden, there we were traveling and I was living again. Of course, as soon as we got back, it's like, right, it's time to get a job. We had these great plans of things we wanted to do. Um, but in order to be able to do these, you, want, you have to accumulate some cash. <laughs> so the idea was go back to work. Not a problem. We'll do it for a few years. And then, but it spirals quickly. And you suddenly realize then, once you're back where you were, um, you suddenly realize something, I've got to do something about this. Um, and in fact, in all honesty, I don't know whether I would myself if it hadn't have been for Lucy saying, no, no, I'm not living with you like this. You know, it was, I was reaching a point where I wasn't getting up out of bed. I was, you know, getting, you know, making your way to the kitchen to make a cup of tea was like too much effort, you know, and it, it's awful. The feeling of just, Everything in the world is dragging you down. Everything out there. No, there's nothing out there for me. You know, all that feeling. And you, you get, it gets darker and darker and darker. Mm. So I went to get some help, basically. Um, uh, I looked around for people I could talk to, therapists, things like that. And it, it wasn't easy. It's not easy to... I mean, the good ones are booked out. They always yeah. are. yeah. And so in the end, it was go see my GP, see if I could get drugs or whatever. I didn't care by this point. It was just like anything to get me out of this. And what doctors tend to do is diagnose you with depression and give you, um, there's two or three different drugs, but sertraline is the one that tends to, it works for some people. I'm not going to deny that, but it's one of those that, um, knocks you flat, makes you feel like a zombie. Yeah. And so I didn't really know what I had. I was starting to try and work out what was going on. Um, I was desperate to try and figure out how I was going to get out of this hole. Um, and as I started reading, because there was nothing else to do. I mean, I know that they often say about GPs often, you know, GPs get the hump if you go and you, you search up your stuff online. And yeah, you, don't like, Google because you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, you're like some hypochondriac if you start doing this, you know. Yeah, yeah but um, I was um, reading because I had nothing else. Um, you know, I, your GP says, here's some drugs, goodbye, you know, and that's it. Um, and so, yeah, I started reading, well, why, why, what have I got? Why, how do I feel? How does this? And I started doing it myself. I was just trying to, you know, get out of the hole myself. And um, I suddenly stumbled across bipolar um, and realized that way before this kind of deep depression had hit, my whole life had been these crazy ups and downs of peak points where I am unstoppable. I am the best thing at this. No one can stop me doing this. I am amazing. Um, and if you don't agree with me, you're an idiot. That's the other thing. <laughs> this is a key part, you see, because when you're on a high, if somebody upsets you, 
particularly if they think that what you're saying is, isn't right and they and they're a bit, it can upset you when it doesn't need to you can be having a good argument or a good conversation about something and someone says oh, i don't agree with that and you're you're an idiot you haven't got a clue because i'm always right because i am on a high i'm on, I'm a, I'm what they call the mania part of it yeah on the lower end there's the oh god i'm rubbish i'm useless to the world i'm no good and this is the other end two very big extremes aren't well, they're, they're, they're huge really? they're huge and um it's and the, the worst thing is some people have it in a way where they can time it so it's like it could be i have three days on i have three days off or i have three months on or three months and then three months off but the majority of people with bipolar have no idea when it's happening or when it's gonna you know could have had the best week ever and then you'll hit the weekend and you just yeah yeah and you don't and you don't know why it's crazy I had this this history of times when I have made a complete arse of myself, um, really, really upset people that I love and things like that. Um, and there are times when I've missed out on things because I just couldn't be bothered to do it, not realising at the time, and then regretting it, obviously, afterwards, but... Um, not realizing at the time that that's what any of this was, but this can go back right to when I was a child. I can remember things, you know, right back to then. And I was this, reading this stuff online. Um, and to be fair, some of these are like the the, the handbook that Mind give out on yeah. bipolar. And yeah. I read it, and it was like the Manual of Laws. It really <laughs> was. I was just like, oh my god, this is, is me. Yeah. <laughs> now that's brilliant. It was a revelation, and it really helped. And I couldn't wait to go back to see my GP for two reasons. One, because I felt that I needed help specifically for this. And two, because I hated the drugs that I was on. Um, as a creative, you still try to keep doing things. You can't help yourself. So when you are on a little bit of an upswing one day, I thought, well, I'm going to write down how I feel. I'm just going to write. Or I'm going to sit at my computer and make a little bit of music for a day. Just potch around, see what happens. And Sertraline just sends you into this, no, nah, I think I'll watch the telly, <laughs> you know, and it really does. And you just feel this kind of, and all your creativity, I mean, I'd sit at the computer, switch it all on, get everything up and running and go, right. Oh, nothing, absolutely zero. And so I, I came off it myself. I didn't go to see the doctor about it. I just came off it and I said, that, was, that didn't work. And do you know, within days, I was having bad ups and downs again, but I was creative again, you know? And so it was like, right, I'm getting this. There's a, there's a, there's a key here. So I went to see my GP and I was basically told, you haven't got bipolar because bipolar people, I have to pin down, you know, when they're in the room with me, um, you know, you, I've had to pin them down in the past, you know, and have to call an ambulance or, a, or, or the police or something, you know, that's what bipolar is. You haven't got a clue what you're talking about, you know? So it was a mix of, I've got the hump because you've Googled this and, <laughs> and, and two, I know what I'm talking about and you don't. And it was clearly a limited experience. Yeah. of what bipolar is now 
when we say we're, we're educating people about mental health now and people are getting more, and it's, it is true, I'm beginning to think that actually the general public are almost more clued up now because they watch a lot of this stuff. They know how to at least act or be um, and act around people who are, you know, struggling with their mental health. As far as getting past the GP, they're like gatekeepers to the, the proper psychologists and the proper therapists and people like that. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get finally diagnosed, Loz? So I... Um, <laughs> after after literally coming out of the doctors crying which i did i i was i was you know i i had to sit down and i sat down on the pavement outside newport pagnell surgery and lucy just said well this isn't good enough we've got to do something so i got in touch with mind because i'd seen their stuff online and things like that and it, you know and so it was something that i kind of thought yeah okay i've heard of these guys i know Where's the nearest one? Central Milton Keynes. Went into Milton Keynes. You're kind of on a bit of a waiting list, like there is with anything. But it didn't take long. It was probably about two months. And then within two months, I could see a one-to-one -one therapist. Now, there was going to be no diagnosis because that's not what they do. They just talk. And I sat with this brilliant girl who just sat there and listened and talked and she remembered stuff. I, I mean, there, there is something amazing about therapists where they can remember things that you talked about five, five sessions ago. Or they would remember everything that you said garbled in the last hour and they would go, so what you're saying is this, this, this and this. And you'd be like, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, and it was amazing. And she goes, you have all the hallmarks of bipolar, but I can't diagnose you. All I can do is... Hopefully, I'm going to try and refer you to a friend. And that's what she said. And I didn't know whether that was going to happen or work. So I went and um, I waited again for a while. And I suddenly got a phone call from Milton Keynes Hospital. And this amazing doctor, uh, Dr. Shah, um, who basically <laughs> saved my life pretty much, I'd yeah. say. Um, yeah. Um, just provided me with a a clear indication i mean he sat there with like five or six people and they all assessed what i was saying where i was doing and the funniest thing that come, came from it really was when they said so what do you do for a living and it's like i'm a designer and all that and ah oh, right okay and then it was like and what do you do in your spare time what do you like to do for hobbies and things music like, oh, i write music oh so you're a creative yeah yeah it's quite common you know you know Right, here we go. So, and it was funny because, I, I mean, I, yes, I had therapy sessions and things like that, but actually, in the end, and this isn't right for everybody, it varies for every single individual, but what worked for me was two drugs. I still have the ups and downs, but they're not so low that I'm going to jump out of a window or hang myself or something. Yeah. And if I'm up the top, I'm you know, I'm high, I'm happy, I'm really full of confidence. But if someone upsets me, <laughs> I'm not going to tell them they're an idiot. You know, I will actually take their point of view and I'm not going to go stomping out the room and I'm not going to throw things around. So the, the mania and the depression are now sort of much, the, the peaks and troughs are a lot more smoothed out, put it yeah. that way. The, the thing is, Lars, you were on a drug that actually was creating a zombie 
mm-hmm. um, persona for you. Absolutely. That, that there's your experience of drugs right there. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be against them? You know, yeah. they completely suppressed you. Whereas what these drugs are clearly doing is they're just taking those extremes out of the scenario, as you say, which is wonderful because that gives you a little bit more of a balanced perspective because actually if I don't have bipolar, I will have days where I'm high and I will have days where I feel a yep. bit rubbish. Yeah, so that's if right. If you can almost have that similar balance, then yep. that's, that's really something, isn't it, for you? You know, makes a Absolutely. Big and of course, the big key was, I mean, well, it started on a really low dose and they upped the dosage slowly. And as soon as it started to have an effect on me feeling not particularly creative again, that came back down to where it was before until we found the right level on both cases um, that I could then still feel creative and still get on with stuff. So whether I'm down or I'm up now, I can, I can still get on with what I'm doing. I have to plan a little bit more. I have to think, I mean, this is part of the therapy side of it to be able to know when you're feeling, I tell you what, I can do this today. And when you feel like that, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So, so planning my work around that is another key to it. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you, well, I did ask you when we had coffee, but I'm, I want to talk about it again on the podcast. When someone says bipolar to me, maybe not now, but when somebody would say bipolar to me, I would feel scared. Yeah. Um, and I think that I can say that to you because you're my friend and, and you knew that I was going to say it because I said it to you when we had coffee. But I think the listeners, if people are feeling like that, then I think this is, this is a, a time for education, which is what I hope this podcast Yeah. But what would you say to people who have this kind of fear? Because I guess it, the fear is based on, I'm not really sure how they're going to behave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, is that miseducation or is that valid? Or, you know, what, what would you say to, to people who might feel like that, Lars? I think you, I mean, I think the, the most obvious thing is to trust the individual. So if they have been through, the th- I mean, you're only diagnosed with bipolar if you've gone through this kind of thing. I mean, I was incredibly lucky. My, my journey went over three years. Some people take 10, eight, 10 years to get diagnosed. Yeah. And, that's got to change. That really has to change. Um, you've got to trust these people that they have got it under control. Mm. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a weird situation, but somebody generally, the, the most dangerous people with bipolar are the ones that don't know they've got it. Yeah. You know? And um, I mean, I was a danger to myself when I didn't know I had it, you know, and I suppose you know, I'm, I'm very late in diagnosis at 40, 46 now. Uh, you know, I'm very late in my 40s getting diagnosed for it. But when you're young, you really have just crazy drive. And when I, I, I never had a minute. I never stopped for a minute until I, until I was probably in my mid-30s. And then I, you know, suddenly realized, bloody hell, I'm knackered for some reason. But that, you know, just constant snowball of life, you you pass it and you just think, ah, oh, you put everything down to an excuse. It's the problem was the bipolar at the time, but you don't know you've got it then. No, and so no. that's when, the, that's when a bi- person who's bipolar is dangerous. I felt it was really important to talk about this. I think for the listeners, it's important that we are um, really trying to understand more about mental health and things like bipolar. 
Um, I am so much more comfortable with it now because now I've talked to you about it. Not only that, I think a few weeks after we met, I said to you before we started to record, I met another guy who I'm going to probably be working with who is bipolar. bipolar. Um, I never knew anyone bipolar and now I know these two fabulous people. But um, he was over 10 years being diagnosed. Um, and so part of what he does is around mental health. His business is based around it in order to try and get diagnosis through much quicker. Excellent, um, yeah. To help people, which is just phenomenal, isn't it? So If he needs any videos, yeah. Well, I'm going to definitely <laughs> connect you, of course. But just to finish, I wanted to kick back into music because, of course, the album that you've just produced um, and written um, mm-hmm. is has actually come from your journey of bipolar, hasn't this, it? This last three years, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a weird situation because um, a lot of uh, therapies that you might do um, encourage you to maybe write down how you feel. Um, there are certain ones that ask you to do diaries and stuff like that. And I found the diary thing absolutely painful. <laughs> you know I, I I've never kept a diary I'm not very good at that kind of thing so I just no no this wasn't for me and I was already writing down how I was feeling because as, as somebody who's been a musician since they were in their teens you always think of an idea and just note it down whether you take it anywhere or not and so all of a sudden I was getting reams of this stuff and um so when I got to Milton Keynes Hospital they um encouraged me that the writing didn't matter how you did it. It didn't have to be a diary. You didn't have to blog about it or anything like that. What I was doing was spot on. And they said it could be the best therapy ever. So um, that's how it turned out to be. Um, You know, I, I started doing the words and then on days when I wasn't feeling quite up to doing that or digging deep inside on days like that, then it was, let's play with some drums let's make some music let's you know and bit by bit suddenly went well this is going well (laughs) you know and um before long I had about 20 songs um which then I started whittling down before I recorded um and then I thought well I've gone this far why don't I try and record at home um I mean I've got some good gear but as far as the, the uh you know doing it at home was a new experience you know, setting up a microphone, a proper recording mic with, you know, sound isolation, my makeshift sound isolation booth and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But um, bit by bit and, um, and a fair bit of work and learning along the way. And there it was, you know, I had this uh, 13 track album and it's, it really is all about getting through this, getting better. There's songs about actually coming out the other side. There's songs about hoping to come out the other side. Um, And there's songs just about coping with it. And there's also stuff of where I believe what the the things in the world that triggered me going really down the slippery slope, you know? So there's a bit about that as well. Some sort of things like that, because I do believe that we have a mental health epidemic and I think a lot of that does come from um, um, the, the, the way we work in this day. The way day we live. The, the way, way we bi- live. Yeah, and the way businesses ru- uh, are run. And the thing about feeling guilty about leaving the office on time and all that kind of stuff. 
all of that leads to this overworking ourselves for very little and not having any time for ourselves. That yeah. mindfulness time, which, yeah. which people took, lots of people don't have that. We're all beautifully different, Lars, aren't we? That's right. Yeah. Doing something, no matter how big or how small, and doing it well is far more important than anything else, you know. And, you know, obviously, you know, I created Live It, Love It, Sell It. That was like my whole methodology around yep. sales. And there's a massive part of that for me is about loving what you do. But I think with the whole working at home thing that I think almost all of us are going through right now with, yeah. with our lockdown, um, I think we're starting to realize that by working, say, three or four really good productive hours in the day, uh, that actually gets an awful lot done. You know, like yeah. you said, working at home, you're more productive. And I think when people start getting into a little bit of a rhythm with this and a routine, they're going to realise actually how productive you can be in three to four hours. Yeah. And, and then go and do something else that you love, like your music or your walking or, you know, whatever. That's it, because I'm already here. So when I clock off, as it were, you know, it's, it's already there. I'm far, the concentration is far greater than it is in an office when people are walking past. And of course, again, when you do a job like I do, where you've got pretty stuff going on the screen all the time, yeah. and everyone comes up behind and goes, oh, look what you're doing now. Isn't that amazing? Or whatever. We used, you know? we used to do that to you when I yeah. worked in the office I mean, with you. <laughs> you were quite good, to be fair. When you're trying to concentrate, particularly if you're doing motion graphics and stuff like that, yeah. you're trying to get something, and they get all this going on in the background. Yeah. It's so but we're But you were the most exciting desk in the office, Laws, you know? Yes. You really I don't were. mind. I, I, I'm not saying I don't like visitors. I do like visitors. <laughs> Just book in, yeah? Just yeah. book yeah. your slot, yeah? yeah. <laughs> listen, listen Laws, it's been amazing chatting. I know I could speak to you forever. Likewise, um, yeah. We are going to have coffee again really soon, hopefully, when all this is when done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if not, we'll just do this. We'll have Zooms together. So that well, we yeah, yeah, and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll have coffee. In fact, I'm going to get myself a glass of wine now. But look, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Um, thank you for um, us connecting again, because it's been absolutely lovely to connect with you again. And I really hope the listeners have got some real insight, actually, out of this podcast. I hope so. We, um, we are really grateful. Um, listeners and I are grateful for you uh, sharing your journey. It's, it's, it's very personal what you've shared, and I really appreciate it. I know it will help some listeners out there very much so. So thank you, Loz. Lots of luck with your business. Yes. Thank you. One last thing. Yes. 50% of everything I earn from this album will go to mind the mental health charity. So um, please, you don't have to buy it on iTunes. If you do, thanks. But <laughs> you don't have to buy it on iTunes. You can listen to it on Spotify. I get royalties. So anything, 50% of whatever I get from this will go to mind. I That's know. really, so, really wonderful. So, so please listen to it or just put it on and turn the volume down if you don't like it. Just, you know. Because <laughs> then it'll just play and give you some royalties. <laughs> yeah. but, but I will put all the links in so everybody who is watching the podcast or listening to the podcast will be able to see in the narrative those links so yep. that they can look for them. Brilliant. Thank you. So thank you, Loz. You, you've been amazing. Um, listeners, thank you. This probably will be a slightly longer podcast than normal. However, 
However, I told you it would be. <laughs> but I, I only ever make the longer podcast when I think there's a really important message to share. So, so I do hope you've listened to the end with us. We are on Apple Podcasts, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Spotify, and we are on Stitcher. So you can listen to us in lots of different places. And of course, you can watch the YouTube video so you can see our lovely, beautiful faces as we are speaking to each other. But please tune in wherever you do. Subscribe, give us lots of likes, and please comment and ask questions because we will come back and answer them if there's anything you want to know. Loss, thank you. No problem. Thank you very much. See you again. And listeners, tune in next time to The Human Conversation. And ta-ta for now. You've just been listening to The Human Conversation podcast with Jules White. To find out more about the other work that Jules does, please visit her website, www.liveitloveitsellit.co.uk. And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy her show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.